Who is the winningest NCAA basketball coach of all time? Dean Smith, John Wooden, Coach K, John Calipari, Pat Summit. Pat Summit is the winningest basketball coach, NCAA basketball coach of all time. She's the head coach emeritus of the University of Tennessee Lady Volunteers. Pat Summit was named the, the Naismith Basketball Coach of the Century in April of 2000. In 2009, uh, the Sporting News placed her at number 11 on its list of the greatest coaches in any sport of all time. If you know much about Coach Summit, you also know that in 2011, she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. And she soon passed off her coaching baton and her and her family and her friends started the Pat Summit Foundation, the purpose of which is to raise awareness and money to treat and eventually cure uh, the disease of Alzheimer's. There was one initiative that happened pretty quickly after she uh, stepped down. It began early on. It's a campaign that all of the SEC schools quickly embraced. For a week in January, all the men's and women's basketball games in the conference, uh, they promote the I Back Pat campaign, where uh, former players and celebrities and coaches and people from all different schools, from all different backgrounds, they give public service announcements, there are uh, video displays where they talk about the disease and fundraising opportunities. And at the end of each video, each person says, I got your back, Pat. Pat, we've got your back. It's a simple way for folks to say, we support you, we love you, we haven't forgotten about you. There are few more powerful words and scenarios in life when we're down when we've received bad news, maybe when we've made bad decisions ourselves, when we're afraid about the future, then to hear someone say to us, I got your back. We've got your back. I'm right here, and I'll walk with you, and I'll stand beside you through thick and thin at all costs. In, in some ways, in many ways, that's what this letter to the Gentile Christians in, in Antioch and beyond is all about. They received confirmation from Paul and Barnabas, James, Peter, the apostles, the elders, all the brothers and sisters from Jerusalem. You know what, Gentile Christians? We've got your back. You're fully accepted and forgiven through Jesus Christ. You're part of the family of God. You're part of the church in the same way and with the same privileges as anyone else who trusts in God, who trusts in Christ. And these words from, from the passage last week still ring true. Peter said it this way, we believe we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. So let's dive into this uh, letter, this passage, and see what we can see and see what we can understand from Acts 15, 22 through 35. The first thing I want us to see is that 
In some ways, this is kind of like a first century press release. They made a decision, they worked on uh, this issue together, a little background information, we talked about it already, but Paul and Barnabas were sent to Jerusalem because there were some people that came to Antioch and they said, you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. And from multiple angles and multiple voices, the church in Jerusalem came to this conclusion, verse 25, they were of the same mind, they were of one accord, uh, that they should not ask or expect these new Gentile Christians to follow Jewish ceremonial law. This was a yoke and a burden that they shouldn't have to bear since all of the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That's a little bit of the background of this press release. Uh, Another thing I want us to think about is the delivery. Um, They made a decision and now they thought about how will we communicate this information to these uh, new Gentile Christians. We all know this. Uh, It's not just true in marriage or in a relationship. It's true in all of life. It's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. In seminary, um, which is a school where you go to learn to become a preacher, uh, you you have a preaching class, and you preach a sermon, and then everybody in the class gets to critique you. It's like, you know, your worst nightmare. And uh, so your, your friends, your peers, the professors, they try to give you helpful hints like that made absolutely no sense. We didn't know what you were talking about. Um, you need to use your hands more when you talk. And uh, one of the critiques that I, I received once was, well, sometimes, Josh, your, your mannerism doesn't match up with the, the things that you're saying. For example, you said, the love of God. <laughs> you know, with a fist and furled brow and uh, (laughs) the delivery and the message didn't really fit. But here in Acts 15, the delivery and the message fit together wonderfully. They fit perfectly. The message is reinforced and confirmed. It matches up with the way it was delivered. And so what these, these folks from Jerusalem decided to do was they would send people back with Paul and Barnabas. When they went to deliver this message, they sent them back. And this was a A simple way to demonstrate that they were behind these Gentile Christians. We are for you. They didn't say, here, this is the information. Take it. Go. Get out of our hair. Leave us alone. The folks from Antioch sent a a, a group to Jerusalem to check on this. And the people from Jerusalem, returning the favor in like kind, sent a group of people back to show that they were on board with these Gentile brothers and sisters. And one of the things that they do from the beginning, we see it in verse 24, is they sort of apologize. Um, We've heard you've been troubled by folks who came from our area. They've unsettled your minds and your faith. We want you to know that we did not send them. We didn't commission them with this message uh, to you We want you to know that we're on the same page about faith in Christ and life and eternal life in Jesus. So they sent sent Judas and Silas and others down to uh, deliver this letter, to deliver this message. Another thing they talk about, we see it in verse 
25 as they talk about our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Remember, Barnabas and Paul were the ones that were on the front lines. They were delivering the message of salvation to the Gentiles. And these folks from Jerusalem identify themselves with Barnabas and Saul. So basically they're saying, hey, these aren't just your guys. They're our guys. We're in the family of God. We're in this together. And we are not afraid to tell you that we love them very much. That they're very precious to us, our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Another thing, as, as they deliver this message, they talk about it. We see in verse uh, 26 that they, they risked their lives for the gospel message. They risked their lives for you, they risked their lives for us, but most importantly, they risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those are things that we, we have to remember as they sent word, as they sent this first century press release to the Christians at Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, and throughout the rest of the world. And there one point of application at this point in the sermon, and it's simply this. What we believe matters. What we teach matters. These teachers were troubling the believers in Antioch, and it says in the Bible that their, their minds were unsettled. They were uneasy about the message they brought. It, it, it got them off track. You guys ever had a home that had a, uh, a sliding glass door? Maybe that went to the back patio, the back porch? They work fine until that door gets off track, right? Maybe a closet door, you have the same thing. And if it gets off track, you know, it's hard to move. You can kind of close it properly, but you drag it, and there's a lot of noise and screeching. And you may be able to close the door temporarily, but if you don't put that door back on track where it's supposed to be, it'll eventually break, it'll be destroyed. And that's a small way to illustrate what happens when uh, we don't take what we believe seriously. That's a small way to show what we believe matters. Wrong teaching and false teaching, it may not seem so bad at first, but it can eventually derail our walk with God and our faith. Just to be clear, right teaching is not all that matters. There are some folks who seem to have all of the answers. It's possible to be right in the facts, but to be angry and proud and arrogant and self-righteous. Unfortunately, some of these types of people uh, end up in the Presbyterian and Reformed uh, Church. Maybe some of us in this room are recovering from that type of thinking. We need to hold the truths of God's Word with passion and conviction, but also with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Not many people have been convinced of Christianity or our theological distinctives by shoving it down their throats. So as this this letter was delivered, we see some of these truths, the the love, the care that uh, the church in Jerusalem had for these 
Christians. And then we see the decision. That's the second thing I want us to see. What was their decision? How did they uh, communicate it? And uh, I remember a few years ago, there was a primetime special called The Decision. Do you remember this? It was when LeBron announced to the world that he was going to take his talents to South Beach. And he was moving from the Cleveland Cavaliers to uh, the Miami Heat. Ironically, he's back in Cleveland. And uh, it was this big deal. And my brother-in-law, we were on vacation. My brother-in-law and I were just making fun of it the whole time. And uh, this decision from Acts 15 is short. It's clear. It's much more important than where LeBron would play basketball. What does it mean? Why did they decide to communicate these things to these Gentile Christians? Why is there no mention of circumcision in their original questions? Well, a couple of things I want us to think about. First of all, they say in verse 27, I believe, we've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who among them will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. To lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. There are two things probably going on here. They're probably referring to the fact that they they met together, they worked together, and they came to this conclusion that Gentiles no longer need to follow the ceremonial law. And God's Spirit was among them. But it's also a reference to what happened in Acts chapter 10. You remember when Peter went to Cornelius' house... And there was this vision and a demonstration as the, as the Holy Spirit was poured out that these Gentiles are now going to be brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So first of all, they talk about that. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, about this decision, what are, the things, what are these things all about? Look at verse 29. These are the things that they said to these uh, young Gentile Christians. We ask that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Why this list? Why these things? It seems a little random to me, but as I read different biblical scholars, there seem to be two things that are going on here. This list, first of all, is a reminder to these young Christians... Don't go back. Don't go back to the old way of life. They had to do with the fact that they had to do, this had to do with what many of these Gentile Christians had been saved from. Many of them lived in pagan places where there was cultic religious worship involving animal sacrifice to different gods. And a lot of times in that sacrifice and in that worship, there was sexual immorality and sin. So these words from the Jerusalem church leaders were very, very culturally relevant to these new Christians. Essentially, they're saying, you don't have to be circumcised. Your your standing before God is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. But remember... Don't try to go back to your old way of life. Don't try to go back to the ways that you used to live. The old paths of sin and destruction. Christ has set you free. 
And there are a couple passages in the Bible that highlight the fact that these, those in Christ are new creatures. And if we go back to sin and those sinful patterns, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up for the children of God. One of those passages is Ephesians 14, verse, verses 17 and following. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. They become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is not how you learned Christ. Basically, following Jesus is different. That's the way your life used to be. That's the way it it was before you came to Christ. You don't need to go back It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Same thing is, I think, communicated in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there's this list of things, and then he says, and such were some of you. You were washed, you were changed by Jesus Christ. That's part of the reason that these things are mentioned. It's a plea. Don't go back to your old way of life. We live in a culture filled with idols. This was not just a first century problem, although most of us are probably not tempted to take part in pagan sacrificial rites. We're very tempted to go back to our old way of life, to the idols and sexual immorality that marks and shapes our world, just as much as it did theirs. And in God's mercy, the Christian sexual ethic, what the Bible says about us as human beings, It has not faded over the years. It's actually been reinforced in the scriptures and in the New Testament. It's clear and simple. Because we're not not our own, because we've been bought with a price, God calls us to honor Him with our bodies. And we're we're continually tempted to think that there is real life, that the good life, is in those old ways, in those paths of sin and destruction. Here are a few examples. Maybe gossip and slander. Maybe that can bring me real life. If I just know all the details of what happened and hear it from multiple people, then then I'll be happy. Then I'll be okay. If I just had more stuff... If we had a little more money. And you know what? It's not just that. It's just, why did they get it and I don't? It's not fair for them to have more than me. You don't have to go back to the old ways of thinking. Young people, you have been or you will be tempted to think, I can't be happy if I don't party. It's just part of life. It's part of being a young person. There's no life there. 
I can't advance this business. I can't be successful unless I just tweak the books a little bit. If I pad the accounts. I mean, everyone does it. It's the only way to get ahead. That's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Idolatry is alive and well in and among us. And these words from Acts 15 are a simple reminder. Those things can't bring you life. They never have. That's why you came to Jesus. They never will. There is life, real life, abundant life, everlasting life in Christ. Don't go back. The second thing that this this list and, and these things probably has reference to is, is an encouragement for these Gentile Christians to think of others. Think of others. These instructions had to do with how these new Gentile Christians would interact with new believers who came from Jewish heritage and Jewish descent. They'd be mixing with folks who were part of the Jewish dispersion. There were, there were people who came into the church where Gentiles lived who were brought up as Jewish people. And then they would see the glory and beauty of Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Some folks see this list as an encouragement for these early Gentile Christians not to flaunt their newfound Christian liberty in the faces of their converted Jewish brothers and sisters. See, they would be so closely connected with Jewish tradition, their consciences would be especially sensitive to some of the practices of these new Gentile Christians. And some people see this list as, a, as an encouragement to them, look, don't flaunt your liberty. Don't flex your muscles and press, press the fact that you can do these things all of the time. Think about your brothers and sisters. And, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see this, this concept of how to interact with weaker brothers and sisters played out. This is something that we need to think about as well here uh, today. When we think about loving and caring for our brothers and sisters, do we think about folks who may have hang-ups with certain things that we think are okay? And when we think about them, do we just say, that's ridiculous. They need to grow up. They need to mature. Or do we have the spirit of Philippians chapter 2? Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we find this thinking within us that says, this is my right. I'm going to do this no matter what anyone thinks. Or no matter what anyone says. We may not be following the spirit of loving and caring for our brothers and sisters. So we need these reminders here. Pursue these things. Don't go back to the old way. And think about one another. But what are the results? How was this letter received? How did the folks in Antioch take these instructions? Were they angry? Were they frustrated that the people in Jerusalem were trying to send down these, these top-down rules for us and telling us how to live our lives? No, the Bible says that they rejoiced because they were encouraged. Look at verse 31. When they read it, 
They rejoiced because of its encouragement. They were excited to get a response, and they were excited about the response. And I I like to picture all these Christians joined together. They're reading this letter. And I I like to imagine the, the joy on their faces. And them saying to one another, Okay, we don't need to be circumcised in order to be Christians. We have full and free access to God through Christ. We're part of the family of God. And when these instructions were read... I bet you they looked at each other and said, you know what? They're right. They're so right. We don't need to go back to our old way of life. We we do need to be thoughtful about how we live and care and take care of other people. And they were filled with joy and encouragement. And after this initial encouragement, there was an impromptu... Bible conference. Verse 32 says that Judas and Silas, themselves prophets, they were preachers, they encouraged and strengthened the brothers and sisters with many words. They didn't just drop off the letter. They didn't just get there and hand deliver it and say, you know, we've got a lot to do, we're out of here. They stayed. They interacted with these people that they probably had never met. They talked to them about Jesus. And about the grace of God. And then it says, after a time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. They sent them back home to Jerusalem. And uh, they sent them with their blessing. They sent them with peace. A few applications here. Uh, We need encouragement. We need to be strengthened. We live in a world where we're constantly bombarded with messages and pressure and voices that say, God doesn't love you. How could he possibly be in control of everything that's happening? You know that you're never really, really going to be accepted and forgiven. That's why we need the truths of God's word. Reinforced, strengthened, applied to our hearts and lives. We need to be encouraged and strengthened with the basics of God's love and the gospel and all of God's word. We need to be encouraged and strengthened with, these, with this fact that God has our back. That he's for us, that he's behind us. Another point of application is there, there are a lot of different people who remind us about the gospel. I think it's neat that Paul and Barnabas weren't territorial. What if when Judas and and Silas started to teach, if they were like, no guys, this is our church. You don't, you you know, you've got to put in a request. Um, No, they were happy to hear from Judas and Silas. They brought a unique perspective on the promises of God in the gospel. There are all sorts of people and preachers and laymen and, and women who can remind us of the most powerful and important truths of God's Word. I think it's kind of neat that Woody and Scott and I have been taking turns preaching through Acts. We have different gifts. We have different styles. But we all preach the same message, that there's life in Jesus Christ. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've sat across the table from someone at lunch or breakfast or coffee, and I'm there to, uh, to strengthen and pastor and shepherd them because I'm the pastor, and the words that they say and the, the experiences in their life teach me so much about Jesus and about myself and about life. We can share the love of God with one another. There are a lot of different people who remind us of the gospel. So as we close, I simply want to ask this question. What are the areas in your life where you struggle to believe that God's got your back? Where you wonder if things are going to work out or if you can make it through or if things will ever get better? What are the areas in your life where you wonder if God really loves you, if He really cares for you? Is He really committed to me now, tomorrow, the rest of my life, and into eternity? Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? When you wonder if God has your back, when you wonder if God cares for you, look to the cross. Look to the perfect life of Jesus Christ. Look to the tomb that's empty. Look to the right hand of the Father to see the ascended Christ interceding for us now. Whatever your story, whatever your past, whatever your current situation, whatever the future might hold, even if it seems scary, if we rest in Christ, if we entrust ourselves to Christ, we can know that God has our back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, struggle at times to believe uh, the greatness of your love and the, the goodness of the gospel. Help us to believe it today. And I pray that your, your word and your promises And your faithfulness uh, would be worked into our lives, into our hearts and souls day by day. Help us to believe more and more that you are our very great reward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, we'll take up an offering to support the work and worship of our church. And uh, we'll also be singing a song as the offering is being taken up.